0: You are listening to understanding disordered eating with rachel heinemann i'm a licensed mental health counselor and certified eating disorder specialist on this weekly podcast we talk about all things psychoanalysis and eating disorder recovery it's a combination of interviews with experts in psychoanalysis and eating disorders and some solo episodes with where it will just be the two of us the goal of the podcast is to help you try to understand a little bit more about yourself gain a deeper understanding for why you do the things you do and bring you one step closer to a healthier relationship with food and yourself. Hey, hey, we are up to episode 119. Just as a quick reminder, if you have not already grabbed your copy of the journal prompts, head on over to the show notes or the website, and you can grab your copy there. It's a really great way to take a lot of the concepts that we talk about on the podcast and start to apply it to your own personal life. Because I can talk about this stuff on my own and with my guest, and it will probably apply to you. And I hope that a lot of this resonates, but in order to translate into your specific life with your own experiences and memories and thoughts and feelings... This has to become a little bit more of your own exercise and thinking about how you can bring these ideas into your own life is going to be crucial in your own recovery and your healing journey. The journal prompts are a wonderful way to do it. They are guided or not guided. You can sort of use whatever level of prompting that you need and run away with it. This week's episode, we're talking about the concept of eating disorders and a look. Because when, especially years ago, when eating disorders were portrayed in the media, whether it was a movie or a TV show, whatever it is, had a very specific look. And it always was a very skinny young girl, skinny, like almost emaciated. And that was the look that sort of portrayed this person on an eating disorder. But what it basically said was, if you don't look like this, you don't have an eating disorder. Now. What's really ridiculous about that is that the majority of people who struggle with eating disorders actually don't look like that. That's a very small minority, somebody who will probably be on a lot more severe side of the eating disorder spectrum, lots of medical complications. Again, it's a very small minority. And so if we're talking about what eating disorders are and people who struggle with their relationship with food and eating disorders we can't really narrow it down to this one look because that's totally inaccurate. Now, more often than not, a person with an eating disorder is the kind of person who on the outside literally has everything together. So maybe you're the one with the promotion, the title, the job, the family, the white picket fence, whatever, you name it. But on the inside, that's what we're looking at and that's what counts that's where you might be either falling apart or just always feeling stressed, always feeling obsessive about food, like literally thinking about it all freaking day. You can't be present for your kids. The unknown might scare you to death. You're terrified of confrontation or criticism to the extent that maybe at work you're working in a crazy amount of extra hours and taking on all these projects that you really don't want to and are really not good for you in order to avoid someone's disappointment or anger. And this, might be going on for years, for the longest time. Because what could possibly be wrong if you've got the partner, you've got the kids, you've got the job, maybe you've got the job that so many people are jealous of. And when people look at you in your life, they're like, well, that's the person I want to be. Even if they're not jealous, that's the goal. Which is the wildest thing, because you know that what it looks like on the outside might seem very glamorous, but on the inside it is totally the opposite. So if we think about what an eating disorder or really what anybody who's really struggling actually looks like, there is no such thing. Even if we talk about a severe restrictive eating disorder, somebody might have a severe restrictive eating disorder and not be in this like, quote, emaciated body. Someone might have bulimia, so they're binging and purging and their body doesn't change that much, or maybe it does. But They're just within normal range. You know how many people have bodies that are meant to just be larger and they've lost a crazy amount of weight and people praise them for it because now they look, quote, great. But of course, they don't look like they have an eating disorder because they don't look sick on the outside. And this also goes for the reverse, by the way. If you see somebody who lives in a larger body, you really can't assume that they have a a binge eating disorder or something like that. Totally not. So when you look at somebody... Whether it is that they are the person you want to be, they have all this stuff, or you're specifically looking at someone's weight in order to indicate whether they have an issue with food, there really is no clue. And the only thing that I would say is maybe you can infer, probably not, but maybe there's a little bit of information with somebody who is living in an emaciated body. That's like all, I I don't know, but they could also be sick with some other things. They could also just have a very bony genetic body that happens. But the problem with making eating disorders and struggles, mental illness, mental wellness, whatever it is, have a specific look, is that it makes people believe, maybe it makes you believe that you don't have an eating disorder or you don't have anxiety or depression, or maybe your family member couldn't possibly have an eating disorder if they're within normal weight. They couldn't possibly be struggling so much with depression because they have three kids. And they couldn't possibly be struggling with anything in the world because they're the CEO of this Fortune 500 company. So like that can't be happening. It also and this part is kind of scary. It also makes clinicians miss eating disorders in that if somebody is not actively talking about their food and their weight and they don't look like they're there's anything wrong on the outside, then a therapist, a doctor, Anybody that someone's seeing might miss it. And to no fault of their own, sometimes they have no clue and they don't know to ask because it's never come up. But it also, even when it does come up, it makes clinicians and providers miss eating disorders because the first thing in their mind is like, oh, there's gotta be some sort of medical complication or some sort of look and they don't have that. And so I won't pursue this, which is really dangerous because early detection with eating disorders is crucial for recovery. But what it also does is further perpetuate this idea that the only valid eating disorder is the most severe anorexia nervosa, which is what has been portrayed in the media over and over and over again. The last thing that this does, well, it does lots of things, but the last thing that I'm gonna say now is that it completely discounts the functional eating disorder that a lot of people have. So the person I described before, again, maybe that's you, Is quote this functional eating disorder? You have everything together, but you have this eating disorder underneath. So here's what you need to know in order to tell if somebody has an eating disorder. And I'm not going to go through criteria of what an eating disorder is, but this is more so if you're listening to to this and you're trying to figure it out for yourself, or you're you know talking with your friends and family and you're skeptical, or even if you're a clinician, you're just like what I don't know, and you want to know, like, what's the difference between someone who's just has this, like, little bit of obsessions about their weight, maybe their interest in dieting, which I guess kind of is everyone, to take it to something that's on an eating disorder level. And the biggest ones are obviously medical complications. So if, like, you know, there's something visually wrong on someone's labs or 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 with their uh, physical well-being, yeah, that's pretty much like. Number one, we already knew that. That's that's not new today. But the next thing is impact on functioning. So that's also the kind of person that their life is falling apart, where they can't maintain relationships or they can't maintain a job, or you know, it's hard for them to get out of bed. And that's, you know, obviously, even if you don't think that the eating is an issue, if you're if it's impacting your functioning in some capacity, this is a problem. But the one that I want to stress the most, which is the most important in my opinion is what is your subjective level of distress from your relationship with food? And if it is at 100, out of 100, I don't care what criteria you meet or don't meet. I don't care if you are the most successful person in your field. And I don't care if you have zero medical complications and it doesn't matter to me. This is about your inner experience. And if your subjective level of distress is extremely high, then it's an issue. I mean, the truth is, like even if somebody doesn't quote meet criteria for an eating disorder, but they struggle with disordered eating, it's grounds for help. Everybody deserves to get help when they're struggling. That's like a non-negotiable, no-brainer before we even start sort of thing. But if we're gonna take this to the level of eating disorder, if someone is incredibly distressed by their weight and their food, that is the number one question that I ask. And I encourage you, if this is not for you And your life, to ask the people in your life, whether you're a clinician and working with people or you are a family member and you're not really sure, you're like, well, I don't really know if this person is struggling. This is the biggest question. How much are they upset by this? How much does this wreak havoc in their inner experience? That is going to be the biggest determining factor on how big of an issue this is. So, like I said, you could be the most functional person in the world. I know we talked about high functioning eating disorders uh, in another episode, and you can be perfect. And we talked about perfectionism and eating disorders in another episode, so you can go check those out. But here's the thing: maybe part of what's contributing to that you are so functional—quote functional—I don't love that word—but you just you look like you have everything together, and everything is so perfect—is because you're so anxious about not doing the things that you need to do. The thought of not getting up at a certain time and getting to work exactly on time or early or not handing in a project on time or not being proactive or not being above and beyond for your family or whatever it is, is so anxiety provoking. Of course, you're going to do it. And in terms of moving your career along, moving your life along, really anything else, in fact... One of the things that might actually be perpetuating your eating disorder or at the very least connected with your eating disorder is the anxiety about not doing what you need to do and the intolerance for inflexibility, which means that you're incredibly rigid with how things have to be or how you create them to be. So something that's really interesting is that what makes you look like you have everything together on the outside is actually part of the issue the anxiety, the intolerance of inflexibility. And I'm not saying like, okay, in order to solve this problem, we have to make you dysfunctional, obviously not. But what getting help actually targets is helping you tolerate the unknown, tolerate the big feelings, tolerate uncomfortable social events and work events, or tolerate what's going on on the inside when somebody, when you anticipate someone getting disappointed with you or angry at you, whether it's at home or at work. And ultimately it organizes what's on the inside that feels so chaotic, So that ultimately, what is on the outside actually matches what's on the inside. Now, I'm not saying what's on the outside is going to stay on the outside, because if it really misaligns with what you value and you want to make some changes, that's also part of the journey. But the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate goal is for us to create some sort of harmony that if this is what you present on the outside, at the very least, you feel somewhat similar internally. So here's the idea. Whether or not someone has an eating disorder, it's not possible to tell based on looking at someone. It's not possible to tell based on what they're eating in this one moment if you go out for a meal with them. And it's impossible to tell from a little, little sliver of their life aside for if they tell you what's going on internally. In the same way that you couldn't possibly tell that someone has an eating disorder on the outside, if you are struggling, nobody knows what's going on on the inside. That's the beauty and that's, the demon of this. And ultimately, what is so incredible about the recovery journey is that it doesn't have to be the biggest disconnect between your insides and your outsides. You could feel more authentic. You could share more. You could be more tolerant of discomfort. And then it doesn't really matter what you look like. And it doesn't really matter what people say, because you'll feel a lot more organized and you'll feel a lot better. you made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.